Okay, friends, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 3. This is Paul's letter to the church at Colossa, and we're going to read verses 12 through 17 from chapter 3 of Paul's letter. Paul starts out, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do... In word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let God's people say amen. Amen. Do me a favor, pull out your Connections journal. It looks like this. It's in your bulletin every Sunday as a guide for your prayer and study. We hope that you would use it in your quiet time each day with God and that it would uh, be helpful to you as you encounter the living God each day through prayer and through the Scripture. Uh, We prepare it each week for you, with you in mind. And you'll notice all the readings are related to exactly what we're talking about on Sunday morning. So please take this, tuck it in your Bible on your way out of here and use it. Uh, Sunday through Saturday, and um, let your life be enriched in that way. So my name is Pastor Brad. If you're a guest this morning, we are so glad you're here. Um, and if you're a regular person, you know, uh, we're, we're okay with you being here too, but uh, <laughs> kidding. Um, but if you're visiting, we're so glad you're here. We really are. And you picked a great day to come because of so many good things happening in the life of our church. And because we're wrapping up our sermon series today called Peacemakers. Uh, Today is week four, and so just by way of a quick recap, we started three weeks ago talking about global peace, and what could we, little old us, possibly do in a world in which there is so much violence, in a world in which there's so much conflict, how can we be peacemakers in a world like that? And then the second week, we talked about being peacemakers in the midst of politics. That was the Sunday, two days before our presidential election, and you've noticed, and I've noticed, the unrest continues, and there's continued conflict in the midst of politics. And so we need a word of peace there. And we talked about how to do that on the second Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about how to cultivate peace in the midst of conflict in our church. And we took some of Jesus' teaching and talked about what does it mean to make peace with brothers and sisters in the Christian community. So if you missed any of those, uh, we encourage you to go back and listen to them on the website. Or you can catch us on iTunes. Just search Timberlake United Methodist Church. And uh, for those who are listening to this recording right now, we hope it's a blessing to you, and we're so glad to be able to make it available to you in those ways. So we began on a global level. We talked about peace around the world, and we started what, what was macro, and today we're coming to the micro. We're moving from a global level to a personal level. We're moving from peace around the world to peace in your house. Peace in my house, peace in our relationships with our family, with our friends, with our coworkers, with the people that we encounter day after day. This idea that we need to be peacemakers not only at a global level but also at, at a local level hit home for me one day. It was the spring of 2004, and I was in graduate school. I was in my second year of seminary, and it was the springtime, 
and I was headed back to my car after a day of classes, and uh, when I walk through the parking lot, I like to amuse myself by reading bumper stickers. Um, bumper sticker theology is always interesting. Do you notice this? You know, sometimes it's really bad, and, and sometimes it's pretty good, but it's always amusing. So I was reading the bumper stickers, and I noticed one car that had two bumper stickers. The, these were anti-war bumper stickers. Remember, this was 2004. So if you remember what was happening in the world at that time, one bumper sticker said, no war for oil. And another bumper sticker said, stop the war in Iraq. And I didn't really think twice about that. I had seen those bumper stickers before. But as I kept walking, I noticed something else on the same car that had those bumper stickers. There was a window that had been broken out. And covering the, where the glass used to be was a white plastic trash bag. And the owner of that car apparently had written on the white plastic trash bag with black Sharpie. And it said... I hate car thieves. I wish whoever did this would come back here so I could kick his you-know-what. And I was amused because the driver of that car obviously had no trouble imagining peace with his neighbors in Iraq. But when it came to having peace with his neighbors who lived close by with someone who would break out his car window... Peace with that person was much, much harder to imagine, right? I wonder if sometimes that's us, right? We can imagine peace with strangers, with faraway people, but having peace in our homes, having peace with our loved ones, sometimes that's harder to come by. How about your home? Is it as peaceful as you would like it to be? <laughs> your nervous laughter tells me that we're on the right track this morning. Uh, <laughs> Uh, how about your relationships? Are there some people in your life with whom you need to practice forgiveness and reconciliation and the kind of things that we're talking about today? So this week, I want to suggest we have an opportunity, right? Thanksgiving is just four days away. Thanksgiving is a day for family and friends to gather, and we know that in the midst of that, sometimes there's conflict. My friends, there can also be healing. There can also be peace. There can be reconciliation. And so we have an opportunity. And I wonder about Thanksgiving at your house. What does it look like? Maybe it looks like this. We've got a picture for you. Maybe this is the Thanksgiving that you dream of. This is a painting. Anybody know the, the artist? Norman Rockwell. Right. Norman Rockwell painted this. This painting is called Freedom from Want. Freedom from Want. He painted it in 1942. And I think it reminds us of that perfect family, right, from the 40s or the 50s where everyone is smiling and everyone is happy and they're all glad to be together and there's no one fighting and no one bickering and everything is perfect in this family. I wonder if that's representative of Thanksgiving at your house or maybe not. Uh, maybe, maybe it's more like this instead. <laughs> so this is... Uh, this is The Simpsons. This is a screen cap from the TV show, The Simpsons. And uh, you can see Homer is grabbing some of the turkey before it even gets to the table. And Bart and Lisa are throwing food at each other. And uh, Grandpa is passed out in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> Does that look familiar? <laughs> so maybe your family isn't quite that crazy. Uh, and yet maybe there's some room for more peace at your house. There certainly is room for more peace at my house. Uh, maybe there are some conflicts in your family that need to be resolved. Maybe your family could do better at working together to manage your household and run things. Maybe you would like for there to be uh, less a spirit of competition and more of a spirit of cooperation. 
Maybe you would like there to be less bitterness and more forgiveness in your family. So let's look together at what Paul says about that, at Paul's teaching about how to have peace in our relationships. This is from his letter to the church at Colossae, and we read from chapter 3, beginning with verse 12, and he starts out saying, therefore, as God's chosen ones. Now, I put the therefore in brackets because it's not there actually in the New Revised Standard Version. Go back to the previous slide, please. But it is there in the NIV, and it is there, most importantly, in the original Greek. Verse 12 starts out with therefore. So when you are reading your Bible and you see a concluding word like therefore, that is a clue, right? That's a clue that I need to pay attention to just what came right before that because now he's drawing some conclusions based on what he just said right before. So therefore means because of all that stuff I just said, now let me say this. Now I make this claim. So we need to go back a little bit ahead of chapter 12 and let's go back to the beginning of chapter 3, verse one and Paul starts the chapter uh, chapter 3 verse 1 by saying this so if you have been raised with Christ so Paul's setting up an if then kind of argument if this then this if one thing is true then the next thing must also be true if you have been raised with Christ he said in other words Paul is talking to those who have experienced new life in Christ Paul is talking directly to the disciples, to the apostles, to those who have gave, given their lives to Jesus. Now, we can also read the inverse, which is also true. He's saying, if you are not raised with Christ, then this really doesn't apply to you. And you're not accountable to the things that I'm about to say. But if you are raised with Christ, then this is for you, and you are accountable to this kind of teaching, and you are accountable to this kind of expectation for your relationships. This is a good reminder, just in these few words here, that the lives of the disciples of Jesus are supposed to look different than the lives of other people in this world. Now, it doesn't make us better than anyone else. Don't think for a second that we're better than anyone. We certainly are not. But our lives ought to look different. Our lives ought to look different because of what it says in this book, because our lives are shaped by the teaching of the Scripture. Our lives ought to look different because we are receptive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit moves us, we respond to God's nudges in our lives. So I'm talking about things like character. And I'm talking about things like virtue. And I'm talking about things like priorities. And I'm talking about things like relationships. Particularly the way you love the people who are closest to you in your life. So Paul continues uh, with verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Pursue heavenly things, things that are higher, things that are holy. These are the things we want to be about. If you've been raised with Christ, because you have been raised with Christ, life is different now. And we know this, right? That because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can also have new life. And when we hear Paul and others talk about resurrection and new life, I think sometimes our minds go immediately to death. And we think, okay, yeah, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. That's the promise of the scripture. And that's true, my friends. That is true, absolutely. But there is more to the story than that because you do not have to wait until you die in order to experience new life in Christ. Okay, this is a promise for right here and right now and your life on this earth here and now today. 
And one of the beautiful things about Paul's theology is he sets up this idea of resurrection and gives us this great theology. It's dense and it's meaningful. And then he says, because of that, life now can be made different because of Christ. And our lives here, there are practical implications for what we do every day. I think sometimes we get our head in the clouds and we think that what we do on Sunday maybe has nothing to do with our lives Monday through Saturday, but it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And Paul wants us now to make a connection between our resurrection theology, the new life. If you have been raised with Christ, then this is how your lives should look. So he writes in verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, that's you, by the way, you are holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So now Paul is giving us the then part of the argument. If you are raised with Christ, then be sure to clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Paul wants us to see that the if, if we are raised with Christ, this vertical relationship we have with God is always, always, always played out in our relationships horizontally with one another. My friends, the best way that you can show your love for God is to love the children of God, to love your neighbors. And that's why Jesus said love of God and love of neighbor, they go together. They go together. So there is a connection between being raised with Christ and then the way we treat one another. And Paul describes these virtues in terms of clothing. He says, put them on as a garment. Put them on as you're getting dressed. I want you to imagine for a moment how different your relationships would be if every morning when you got dressed, you not only put on your pants and you put on your shirt, but you also put on compassion and you put on humility, and you put on kindness and patience and meekness. I want to suggest to you that these things do not always come naturally, right? We have to choose them. We have to be intentional. We have to wake up in the morning and say, today I will be a person of compassion. Not because I'm so great or because I have special ability, but because God has given me that ability. Because God has been compassionate with me, therefore let me be compassionate with others. Now let's look at verse 13. Paul said, bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. So two things here. First, look at how the verse starts. It says, Bear with. Bear with. That's what we say to each other when we need someone's patience, right? We say, bear with me. Bear with me. To bear with means to have patient endurance for another person. Paul said, bear with one another. There is no place in our lives that is more important for us to have patience than in our families. Have you noticed your family needs patience from you? Have you noticed that you need patience from them? Right. Right, we need patience in our families. Family relationships take a lot of it. And, of course, it's because nothing drives us as crazy as those annoying little habits and idiosyncrasies that our families do day after day after day, and they just drive us crazy, right? And you say, man, I, I didn't really realize it was going to be like this when I got into this family, but here it is now, and i got to find a way to work through it. You may have a hard time believing this, but I was not a perfect child growing up. 
And I used to bicker with my brother a lot. And my family would take a lot of road trips to go visit family uh, in Indiana. And, you know, when you're in a car, you know, it's like you're captive and you can't get away from each other. And so we would bicker and argue and fight. And I remember one Christmas time, we were driving from the East Coast out to Indiana to see our family. And we stopped at a fast food restaurant for dinner. I think it was Arby's. And we're sitting at the booth. And my brother is sitting across from me at the table. And under the table, uh, we began to kick each other. And so I kicked him once, and then he kicked me harder, and I kicked him harder, and on and on it goes until my mom, you know, God bless her, she just had enough, and she said, stop it, boys, you're driving me crazy. She said, could you please just try to be nice to each other for a few moments? And we said, well, you know, how do we do that? You know, what, what does that look like, really? And she said, I don't know, just... Could you just, like, say Merry Christmas to each other or, or maybe say, you know, how was your day today? And so with gritted teeth, we said, Merry Christmas. <laughs> how was your day today? Whack! And kicked each other again and again and again under the table. My mother had a lot of patience with us. So bear with means patient endurance. Bear with also means to suspend punishment. Bear with means to suspend punishment. It very well may be that someone in your life, someone in your family, deserves some negative consequences as a result of their behavior. All of us at one time or another certainly deserve that kind of consequence. It, it may be that they deserve your judgment. But when we bear with one another, it means we would have mercy on them. It means we would withhold the punishment that they actually deserve and instead give them something that they don't deserve, which we call grace. Grace. So to bear with each other is to withhold that kind of punishment and instead offer something else. My friends, one of the marks of spiritual maturity is a willingness to quietly overlook the offenses of others. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? That's hard to do. But that is a mark of spiritual maturity to quietly overlook the offenses of others, to move on with your day, to not let it get you worked up, and to continue to love that person who has wronged you. Now, how do we do that? Well, God shows us how to do that. Twice in the New Testament, the same Greek word that's translated bear with is used to describe God's actions toward us. And one place is in Romans chapter 3, and it says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness and his bearing with us. His bearing with us. Do you see what this means? It means that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of your sin is God's effort to bear with you, to have patience with you, to withhold the punishment that you deserve and I deserve and instead offer something that we do not deserve. And so that is what God has done for us. And now Paul says, now you have to do that for each other. You have to do that for each other. That leads us into the rest of that same verse. Paul said, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you. Because we have been forgiven, we can forgive each other. And it's been my experience that the people who are most aware of the forgiveness of their own sin are most willing to forgive other people. The people who acknowledge the debt 
that they owe to God are the people who are most willing to forgive others in their lives. You see, these two things are connected, the way God forgives us and the way we, in turn, forgive each other. We talked last week about Matthew 18 and Jesus' teaching on how to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in the church. And Jesus counseled us, he counsels us to talk directly to the other person, right? To go to them and to confront the one who did you wrong and to address it one-on-one. Uh, But if you keep reading that same passage in Matthew 18, the very next thing that Jesus talks about, after he talks about you confronting the one who sinned against you, he talks about forgiveness. So it turns out the reason for going and confronting the other is not to make them feel bad. It is not to point out how terrible they are. It's so that you can forgive them. It's so you can forgive them. Now, the story is in that chapter is when Jesus and Peter are talking about how many times we actually have to forgive someone else. Maybe you know that story. Maybe you know that the Jewish law said you have to forgive three times. You can't just forgive once, not just twice. You have to forgive three times. And Peter, being a good Jew, he knew that. And Peter, thinking he would move to the head of the class, he went to Jesus and he thought, aha, I'm going to show him how great I am, how generous I am. And he went to Jesus. He said, Jesus, if a brother or sister sins against me, how many times must I forgive them? Now, he knew the answer was three. How many times must I forgive them? As many as seven times, Jesus? And he's thinking, oh, man, I'm going to impress Jesus more than twice the amount I'm willing to forgive. And Jesus said, actually, Peter, 70 times seven times. And can you imagine some Christians, uh, 488, 489, one more, and that's it. I was counting. I did the math. The point is forgiveness has to be unlimited, right? It has to go on and on forever. There can be no limit to our forgiveness of each other because there's no limit to God's forgiveness for us. Paul goes on in the next verse, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, Paul uses the image of dressing ourselves with holy habits, putting on love, because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then he finishes with a reminder about the source of this kind of harmony. Verse 15, Paul writes, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. My friends, never forget the peace that we can offer one another. It doesn't come from you, and it doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus. Always, always, always it comes from Jesus. That is the only peace that is possible, and that is the only peace that matters. It comes from him. It is enabled by him. And when you enter into a relationship with him, he brings it with him for you and for those you love. I'm reminded of a story uh, from a friend of mine. My friend is a pastor, and he has four kids And they're all young adults now, but at the time they were much younger. And it was Christmas, and the kids were super excited about Christmas, except my friend the pastor was feeling the crunch, as pastors do at Christmas time, because it was almost Christmas Eve. It was the day before, in fact, December 23rd, and he was working on the Christmas Eve sermon. And he knew that in his church, like a lot of churches, there would be a lot of visitors and a lot of guests and a lot of people who only come at Christmas or Easter, and so he wanted to reach them. So he's going to write the perfect Christmas Eve sermon. And he sat down at his desk in his study at home, and he tried to focus, and he tried to write, except that his four kids, 
who were super excited about Christmas were out in the family room. And they were not focused, and they were not worried about the sermon. They were just excited and noisy, and they were carrying on and on and on. And my friend tried to focus, and he couldn't focus, so he went out, and he asked his kids, please, could you please be quiet? Daddy's trying to work. And he went back into his study, and he worked some more or tried to, except they continued to be noisy and, and make trouble. And so he went out there again and again and again. He said, please, would you please be quiet? He came back into his study, and he's sitting there, and he can't focus, and he can't concentrate and he's getting more and more angry by the moment until finally he just exploded. And he walked out of the study and he grabbed his kids and put them on the couch, all four of them, and he stood in front of them and lectured them and yelled at them for 10 minutes about how disrespectful they had been, about how they weren't honoring their parents, about they needed to obey the rules of the house. And his four kids all began to cry. And he was exasperated. He didn't know what else to do. And so in the silence, he walked back into his study and shut the door and he sat down at his desk and he realized what he had done. And he realized now the perfect Christmas sermon was a joke and he began to cry. And he buried his face in his hands for a long time as he was grieved over what he had done to his kids. And then he heard some shuffling outside the door, and he looked, and, and from underneath the door there came these slips of paper, and they were colorful, and they had been drawn on and written on by his kids, and he picked up one, and it said, we love you, Daddy. And he picked up a second one, and it said, Daddy, we forgive you. And he opened the door, and his children gave him a huge hug. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony.